Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane when we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're continuing with the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, this time the 23rd chapter, the first through the 12 verses. And this is kind of a complex um, gospel because there's all sorts of nuance and all sorts of subtlety in it. And if we take it simply literally, then we get ourselves tied in all sorts of, of knots about uh, practices and about uh, meanings of words and so forth. So let's just go into the gospel and see exactly what it is that, that Jesus is talking about. He said, addressing the people and his disciples, Jesus said to them, the scribes and the Pharisees occupy the chair of Moses. You must therefore do what they tell you and listen to what they say, but do not be guided by what they do, since they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but will they lift a finger to move them? Not they. Everything they do is done to attract attention, like wearing broader phylacteries and longer tassels, like wanting to take the place of honor at banquets in the front seats in the synagogues, being greeted obsequiously in the market squares and having people call them rabbi. Now that we have seen kind of the end of the confrontation um, between Jesus and the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the chief priests, the elders, the Herodians, and so forth, now this is kind of a summation of those encounters that we've been following, um, those encounters that began with the challenge to Jesus' authority and end now with Jesus summarizing the, the basically the problem and the difficulty that these people do actually present to the people of the covenant. And so they say they occupy the chair of Moses. Jesus is not in any way um, attacking the idea of authority that certainly the temple officials do preside over the Jewish community. And insofar as they are faithful to the Torah and the prophets, and even insofar as the rabbinical law is reflective of the spirit of the Torah and, and the prophets, which the people are told, you know, don't discount their authority, but understand that as human beings, they fall far short of what they tell you, you must be and you must do. Well, you know, we're very familiar with that problematic. We're very familiar with a, with a discrepancy between person and office. And that's basically what Jesus is talking about. I remember there was uh, the inaugural talk at St. Charles Seminary for a chair of moral theology and a speech given by, uh, by Dr. John Haas. And, and the, the theme of it was, you know, the challenge of the priest to live up to the office that they carry. Well, you know, I mean, I know especially in myself, but you know also in priests that we don't always live up to the office that we carry. Our humanity in many ways sometimes kind of creates an undertow in our life and keeps us from achieving that, that level that we should have to be in some kind of real conformity with the sacrament that we carry. Well, we're familiar with that. And I think that, you know, the, 
items in popular culture that erase that distinction have been very, very difficult, caused great difficulties for us as a Catholic culture, especially in the United States, that we have had uh, back in, in, the, uh, in the mid 20th century, we had these romantic, idyllic pictures of the, of the perfect priest. And uh, the consequence of that really has been that we have been insufficiently attentive to the truth and the reality of the humanity of the priest who carries the office. One may never, in any way, shape, or form, presume the perfect conformity of the human person to the sacrament that they carry. One respects the challenge to do so, and one prays for those who do possess the sacrament to live according to it and to conform to it. It's part of our prayer for priests. But we also know that not all do that. And we also know that probably all priests at different times in their lives find themselves at odds with the sacrament that they carry, the sacrament of holy orders. So Jesus is not saying something in total condemnation. He's stating, he's stating a human reality that you sit in, in, in the chair of Moses. Who can fill the chair of Moses? It's like saying, you know, in the chair of Peter, who can fill the chair of Peter to any kind of perfect conformity to the, the, the head of the apostles? I'm sure some have. I'm sure most have not. And we have, of course, a long history of those who have fallen short of that ideal. People can go back historically, use that against us to challenge the notion of the chair of Peter. But all they're really doing is exposing the frailty and the weakness of human nature. They're not really in any way, shape, or form um, being able to dismiss or to get rid of the office itself. And it's like the way, it's the same way with the priesthood, for instance. And I, I use that example because it's probably the one closest in, in this gospel to what Jesus is talking about with the scribes and the Pharisees. There is oftentimes a discrepancy between the office that we carry and how we personally conform our lives to that office. So, a human reality, not something, not a ringing condemnation, you know, reject all Pharisees, reject all scribes, anything like that. It's just telling a reality. It's just like saying, oh, well, priests sin, and therefore, you know, the priesthood is invalid. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. That's kind of a lack of really understanding of this tension in the relationship between the human and the divine. And is saying there should be no tension, there should be no struggle. It's just, you know, I'll just kind of get sucked into this charming cookie cutter image of something. Well, it doesn't happen that way. Husbands and wives don't function that way. Parents don't function that way. Religious don't function that way. Priests don't function that way. And hierarchy does not function that way. For every single one who carries a sign, a symbol, a sacrament, for every single one, there's always a struggle to conform to the ideal of the sacrament that they carry. That's kind of the humanity of the church. And Jesus says, so what do they do to cover up this inadequacy that they have? Well, he said they like to attract attention. They want people to think more of them than they're worthy of being thought about. And so he says they, they broaden, they wear broader phylacteries. A phylactery is a small box 
with passages of the scripture in it with an Orthodox Jew will strap to their arm and to their foreheads. And so in order that people know that they carry with them the word of God wherever they go. Well, Jesus is saying, you know, the bigger the box on your forehead, the more obvious it is to others, you know, that you are somehow or other a member of the Pharisaical sect. And then the same way with the tassels. All of that is a tent. All Jews wear tassels. They're on the prayer shawls and so forth. But the Pharisees, he says, make theirs bigger than everybody else's so that they, so they draw attention to themselves and so that, that it looks like uh, we're better than everybody else. And he said, and so he said, they like places of honor, banquets, and front seats in the synagogues, and being greeted obsequiously in the market squares, and having people call them rabbi. Is it wrong to honor a person because of their office? No. Is it wrong for the person who holds the office to jockey for social position? Yes. And that's all Jesus is saying. If it is proper to honor the office someone carries, then we should do so. But if a person says, well, because I hold that office, I'm going to, you know, kind of wiggle my way into the, into the elite, into the upper echelons, into the public eye, and so forth, that's ridiculous. And that's simply a sign that the person is not really conforming their life to the sign that they carry. So I think there's a radical difference. I think, you know, if you go to, to a courtroom, the office of judge is, is honored in the courtroom. In fact, it's easy and called your honor. They may or may not be good people and, uh, and maybe outside of the exercises of him being a judge or she being a judge, they live scandalous and horrible lives. It's possible, I'm not saying that's true, but that doesn't mean we don't honor the office of judge in a court of law. And it's the same way, you know, with, with the clergy. The office of priesthood should be honored. The office of bishop should be honored. But if the priest is, spends his life trying to squirm his way into the spotlight, that's unfortunate. And that's, that's a sign of lack of conformity to the sign. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of human frailty. It's a sign of something where a person needs some assistance and, and, and some help maybe to overcome this terrible sense of inadequacy which they're using the priesthood to overcome. So Jesus talks about all that in the first part of this gospel. We shouldn't get the idea that he's condemning all those who hold an office and that's why he said they sit in the chair of Moses and therefore pay them due respect and listen to what they say. But then he goes on to say, however, you must not allow yourselves to be called rabbis since you have only one master and you are all brothers. You must call no one on earth your father since you have only one father and he is in heaven. You must now, you, nor must you allow yourself to be called teacher for you have only one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled and anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. This is difficult because we call people teachers and we call people father and uh, we call priests father and we call teachers teachers and so forth. So is that in direct contradiction to the gospel? Well, actually, no, it's not. And this is the thing. I recall one time an evangelical coming up to me and challenging me on being called father. 
And I said to him, you know, I said, I presume you're married with children. And he said, yes. And I said, what do your children call you? Do they call you their father? And that was kind of the end of the discussion. But it, it makes the point. And it's the same thing being carried over from the first part of the gospel. We do not attribute to the office the person. In other words, when a priest is called father, or a bishop called excellency, or a cardinal called eminence, um, or the pope called holiness, that's more of a challenge than anything else. It's like, be a priest, be a bishop, be a cardinal, be a pope. Live that life personally to the sign that you carry. And don't rely on the title to gain you position and social position within the society. I recall when we were young, and uh, one of the great mysteries in Catholic schools was what the sisters' real names really were. And it was always kind of a great discovery when a member, when one of their brothers died or their parents died and you learned what their last name was, you know? But the thing was, in religious vows, and St. Thomas Aquinas argues this actually, religious vows are in a sense like baptism. And that in, in that sense of doing so, they change their names because they want to be the person that conforms to the office they carry. And so it's like, you know, we hear about putting, taking off the old man and putting on the new. Um, it's kind of like a conversion experience. I'm different than I was before. We have traces of that, of that custom in our con sacrament of confirmation um, where you take another name and many people incorporate that confirmation name into their legal name. And, and so what is the purpose of that? It's placing yourself under the patronage a particular patronage of a saint whose charisms you admire or whose saints whose charisms you would hope to share or participate in. And so too was it with the religious, which is why they had the custom of changing their name from their legal name, their baptismal name, now to a new name, in kind of, as St. Thomas was in a way supportive of the fact that that it's a new conversion, it's a new consecration, and therefore it's a new way of being that sets you in your office apart from the whole community in one way in order that you might be of greater service to that community in another way. So to say do not allow yourselves to be called rabbis since you have only one master and you are all brothers. I think that, uh, that this is something for us to ponder. I used to always tell the seminarians, you know, are we are all equals, we are all brothers, but we're not peers because the office distinguishes us. And that office is not for the aggrandizement of the priest, but it's for the service of the community. And that part of it, I think, is what Jesus is talking about. After he has said, you know, that they want their... They're great attention getters. They want to get all the attention. They want everyone to notice them. They want everyone to think well of them. They want people to be, uh, greet them obsequiously in the market squares and so forth. No, that these titles are titles of service. 
we hear a great deal now about clericalism and people are all fussy about, well, they're wearing, you know, lace albs or doing this and, and that's... No, clericalism is being bossy. Clericalism is bullying people into doing what you want them to do. Not because that's your office to do that, but because you think you're better than they are, you know more than they do, or you're in charge and you're the boss and people have to do what you say. That's kind of clericalism. The priest is the servant of the community, but that doesn't mean he's the doormat of the community. He is the servant of the community by fulfilling his office of priesthood, by fulfilling and living in conformity with his sacrament of holy orders. And that's kind of the spirit of what Jesus is talking about here. We are all brothers. We are all equals. We are not all peers. For instance, for for a, a priest to, to consider his bishop as his peer is uh, he can be a brother, he can be a friend, he can be a teacher, but he's not your peer. He has an office that is beyond your office, but it's for your well-being that he holds it. And so you take seriously whatever he says. Can we have bad bishops? Certainly we can. Have we ever had? Oh, I'm sure we have. The same way with popes and cardinals and priests and laity and religious and so forth. The human frailty which strives and is drawn to fulfill the service of the community through the offices of the church is a great challenge. And it isn't just, you know, let's sit back and just talk about priests and religious and hierarchy and so Let's talk about the laity as well. Let's talk about the laity who assume to themselves a knowledge they do not have, an authority that they do not have. Let's talk about parents who are not good parents, parents who bully their children or parents who, who in some way, shape or form use their children for purposes of personal prestige and so forth. All of that kind of thing, everybody, falls short of the perfection of the sacrament that they carry. The sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of matrimony, the sacrament of holy orders, all of us fall short in some way, shape, or form. That's why the priests and the bishops also must go to confession. That's why the parents must go to confession. That's why every Christian must go to confession, because they probably have failed to live up to the sacrament of baptism, to the freedom from sin that was part of their original encounter with Jesus Christ and with the church. Then he says, nor must you allow yourself to be called teachers. It's in the same way, that it's not your authority. It's not your brilliance. How many brilliant theologians do we have who, who are bad teachers because they don't teach Jesus Christ, they teach themselves? And how many people, you know, how many times do you hear, well, you know, this is the teaching of the church, but I say, well, who are you to say? You know, that's not your office. Your office is to teach the teaching of the church and to learn, have the humility to realize the limitedness of your own intellect and the limitedness of your own body of knowledge and the limitedness of your own human experience. And that can be true from the simplest farmer to the greatest and most uh, celebrated scholar. There are limitations to their brilliance, their understanding, their experience. And so we can find, for instance, the great theologians who don't know what they're talking about. 
who make stuff up, you know, and we have great examples of it. I mean, I, I hate to always pick on the German Synod, but there it is. You know, we, we know better than the church. We, we, we don't need the, the apostolic tradition anymore. We don't need the Bible anymore. We don't even need Jesus Christ anymore. You know, we got a better idea. Well, no, you don't. You're just not conforming yourself to the office that you carry, and that's, that's a flaw, that's a fault, and sometimes a serious one. But it is the same way, you know, with the academic theologians. You have new theories, the recontextualization theory, for instance, when the only revelation there is is the revelation I perceive in my own consciousness, which means there's no revelation at all. Because Jesus, while he does interact with individuals, he deposits the truth of who he is basically with the community, with the whole church. And the experience of that truth is what we call the tradition of the church, the magisterium of the church. So basically, by de-ecclesiastically, uh, ecclesiasticizing ourselves, we feel that we have a certain independence and claim an authority which we do not have and demand that people call us master, that people call us teacher. What about, you know, the intellectuals in academia who impose their myopia and their shortcomings and uh, their restrictions of what they really know on, on students and demand that the students accept those kinds of perspectives? It's, it's outrageous and it's an abuse. It's an abuse of a position and it's abuse of a profession. We, Jesus is talking about and that in relationship to the leadership of the Jewish people. And that does not mean he's condemning Judaism because he certainly is one of them. And in the popular mind, although not a professional, he would have been, he would have been thought to have been one of the Pharisees because of the, uh, the idea that he did believe in the resurrection and he spoke of it. So basically, what Jesus is striving for, what he's asking us to do, is to develop a truth about ourselves. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Anyone who tries to make themselves greater than they are, are eventually, either in life or in death, exposed for the inadequate creatures that they were. But anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, we've talked about this before too. What is humility? Humility is simply the truth about ourselves. And uh, if we speak the truth about ourselves, then there's nothing that will really humiliate us. Anything that is not truthful that's said about us is not a humiliation. You know, it's, it's a lie. Anything truthful about us that is spoken that does humiliate us, we should have already known. And we should know it to be true. And although it might sting, we also know that the person had a right to be truthful about who we are. And, and, and I think that all of this is something that while Jesus attributes to the leadership of the, of the people of the covenant, and in our discussion we've seen its implications in the leadership of the Christian church, of the Catholic church, I think that we see it also in the life of every individual. The person who knows who they are is the person who is humble. The person who tries to make believe they're somebody they're not is someone who ultimately will be humbled. And will be humbled because they make themselves ridiculous. 
And, uh, and like I said, whether it's in the secular realm or, or whether it's, it's in the religious realm, human nature is universal. And human nature prevails within each and every one of us. It is both our strength and our weakness. The strength of our human nature is that which is augmented by grace and by the love of God. The weakness of human nature is that which, in which we cling to the fallen parts of our nature. And so basically we must know and understand that Jesus in this gospel simply calls us to the truth of ourselves. He honors the office, he acknowledges the struggle of individual human beings to be, live in conformity with that office. He points out the foibles of misusing it because we can't live it. And then he calls us to a truthfulness about it and asks us simply then to be truthful to our own inadequacies. It's very, very difficult, I think, sometimes when people attribute to us, now I speak as a priest, attribute to us those qualities of our lives which are not true. And uh, while we don't have to expose our, uh, the darker side of our personalities when people do that, it certainly is not a compliment and it certainly is not comfortable. And so I think that we pray for one another, that each of us live the sacraments that we carry to the fullest ability that we have to rely on Jesus Christ and on his grace and his love, to implore his blessed mother and to implore the intercession of the saints, that we may live the mission we have in our lives to the best that we can, and in so doing, bring hope and peace, consolation and service to the world of God's children, helping each and every one to grow in that awareness of God's presence in their lives. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.